pandemonium. It is pandemonium. It is pandemonium. It is fantastic. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Overtime Podcast presented by the Colfer Report. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Clayton Gary. You can find me on Twitter at CFR Clayton, and joining me as always. I'm Jeff Uvino. You can find me on Twitter at Real J-U-V-E-I-N-O. So to start off, the first episode of the offseason, we have to take care of in-house business. We're going to talk about players that the Bills can re-sign, players that are going to be unrestricted free agents this upcoming offseason, restricted free agents and exclusive rights free agents. They have all, all the varieties this offseason, uh, as well as the people, or as well as the players that could potentially be cut or cap or cap casualties, if you will, this offseason. I think it's going to be very interesting. You know, there's a variety of holes that the Bills have to fill, and there's a lot of unrestricted free agents for them to re-sign, as well as some players that they need to take care of this offseason, in my opinion. Jeff, what do you think the Bill is the biggest thing on the to-do list for the Bills this offseason? Well, I think that wide receiver obviously is the top priority. I mean, especially on the surface, <clears throat> you know, every average fan is going to look at the Bills performance this year and say, okay, they need a receiver and they need a guy who can jump up and grab the ball, a tall wide out. And so on the surface, that is your most obvious need. And I think that a good number one wide receiver makes your team a lot better. A guy who, like I said, can jump up and grab the ball, not, not, not taking anything away from John Brown, but you know, he's not a guy where you can throw a corner in on the one yard line, you can throw the ball up to him in the corner and he's going to catch it like a Terrell Owens kind of player. Um, <clears throat> I think that, that, I don't know why I, that came to my mind as an analogy <laughs> or a comparison, but I think that there are more needs that need to be addressed throughout the lineup um, because there always is in football. You know, there's, there's 22 starters in football. So there's always going to be holes that you need to fill and there's always going to be um, some change from year to year because guys contracts run out. That's, that's the name of the game. That's, that's the business. But I think that addressing the wide receiver, not problem, but maybe, maybe a little bit of a void, maybe a little, a little bit of a gap that will number one, certainly satisfy Bill's fans first and foremost, because people are like, we need a damn receiver. The people oh, yeah. who, who say, those are the same people that want you to draft running backs second overall in the NFL draft because running backs are so valuable to your team instead of linemen. But anyway. I mean, I, I tend to agree. Wide receiver is definitely one of the biggest needs on this team. But if we're talking about in-house, and that's, this is where we're going to start off, yep. it's going to be extending Trey White, in my opinion. Yep. I think Trey White is the number one on the to-do list. It doesn't matter. Regardless of all the free agents you have, regardless of the decisions you have to make on players that you have potential outs on, or any other player that you look to give an extension to. And there, there, are, there are three others on this list that we're going to get to. But I think, first and foremost, you must extend Trey White, simply because not only is he the most deserving, he's an all-pro, he's a pro bowler, but it's also going to be the most expensive. It's also the one that's going to be impacted the most by other players signing their contracts around the NFL, like Marshawn Lattimore, players of that variety. I mean, I'm not saying Trey White isn't better than those players. He certainly is. I think he's one of the two best cornerbacks in football, no doubt. But as every single player signs an extension, Trey White's extension is going to become a little bit more expensive. And you're going to hear me refer to spot track 
and their um, estimated market value. They estimate Trey White is worth 15.6 million per season. That would make him technically the highest paid corner in football, but that were if he, he were to sign the contract today. And yep. the day that Trey White signs the contract, he is going to be the highest paid corner in football, without a doubt in my mind. I just think I, I don't think that Trey White's going to sign back in Buffalo for a penny less. I just don't. I think if I had to give an estimation or a guesstimation even as to where as to what we'll see Trey White re-sign for if he resigns with the Bills, it's going to be about eighteen and a half million per season. That sounds a little high. That definitely sounds a little high, but you're paying for the player that you drafted twenty seventh overall three years ago. And he has certainly produced as he's an all pro and he'll be starting opposite Stephon Gilmore, the Pro Bowl this week. And we've seen how hard it is to draft those elite players, especially being Bills fans. It's so it's, it's so hit and miss with you draft a guy in the first run, whether he's going to turn out to be a star or not. Now that you have a bona fide star, it, the need is obvious to just lock him up. You know, don't, don't let those guys walk once, once you've got them. Right. And he was one of the five last picks in the first round the year he was drafted. Not to mention. The Bills yeah. tra- tra- or traded back from 10 to 27 and picked up probably one of the best players in the draft that season when you're looking hindsight. I mean, well, I mean, you have Pat Mahomes and Sean Watson in that conversation, but definitely one of the best defensive players in that draft. And I think Trey White, extending Trey White is probably the biggest need this offseason. You can talk about the voids at defensive end, wide receiver, and what have you, as well as extending other players in-house. But I think you need to lock down Trey White. And pun yeah. is intended, absolutely. But um, Trey White, I, I think this defense, it all takes a step back if you don't have that cornerback. If you don't have a cornerback that you can just put on an island with the opposing offense's best wide receiver, and, you know, the dynamic is just changes completely for the best de- – well, one of the best defenses in football these past two seasons. I mean, Trey White, he opens the door up a lot for the Bills to be aggressive when they choose to. Uh, obviously, Jordan Poyer and Micah High behind him, those are two excellent safeties, as well as – I mean – just think about it. I think we're having a far different discussion if Kevin Johnson and Levi Wallace are the two starting cornerbacks for the Buffalo Bills from week one to week 17 in 2019 than we are if it was Trey, compared to what we had this past season with Trey White, who had six interceptions and forced two fumbles. I think you absolutely have to do it. You have to do it as soon as possible to, in order to uh, possibly save a few dollars here and there. But regardless of the price, you must extend Tredavious White. Yeah, I mean – Levi, nothing to take away from Wallace and Johnson, but they're like the holes in your defense. That's how good the Bills' defense was this year. Those guys were your holes, so you don't want to expose those, obviously. So um, I think we can definitely agree that 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 has to be done. I think every Bills fan can agree that that has to be done. Right. And the second player I want to talk about in-house is a fellow member of the 2017 draft class is linebacker Matt Milano. Now, this has been a discussion as of late on Bills' Twitter and Facebook as well as to whether or not the Bills should re-sign Matt Milano. And I think you absolutely should. Uh, Spot Track estimates his market value to be $13 million per season. Which I absolutely, I think, is on the high end of what he could receive. But I would, it wouldn't shock me if the Bills signed him for $13 million per season. And there are some people who are hesitant to give Matt Milano his dues here. I mean, he was a former fifth-round pick, and he has been, he's developed nicely into one of the better outside linebackers in football, the weak side linebacker for the Bills. And I would absolutely resign Matt Milano. Now, I understand he broke his leg at the end of the 2018 season. I feel like we're having a far different discussion right now if he didn't rebound in 2019 the, the way that he did. But we didn't really see much regression from Matt Milano outside the first two, three weeks of the preseason. We saw him moving a little slow. His lateral quickness was, was slower than it had been in, in the past. But as the season progressed, he, he beat down the rust. And he really just found him. He really found that mold that he had in 2018, where he looked to be one of the best line or one of the best players on the Bills' defense. 
Yeah, and I gave him my most improved award last week because he's a guy you can count on for everything. And why the hell not would you resign a guy like that? That's in the middle of your defense with Tremaine Edmonds and a guy who can who can um, drop into pass coverage, a guy who will make open field tackles. You know, you can you have an abundance of players, other positions, but I think that the linebacker core is so important. And and I'm all for re-signing Matt Milano much more than I am some other defensive players, obviously excluding Tredavious White. Right. And, you know, Matt Milano, I, I, I think I brought it up last week. Is, is there a better linebacking tandem than Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds? I think there are two players that are very versatile. Matt Milano, he tends to struggle and run fits on occasions, but he's a younger player and I think he's going to get better. But I think you absolutely must resign him. He's one of the foundational pieces, just like Trey White. He's one of the foundational pieces in what has been a solid defense. And, you know, Brandon Bean always talks about taking care of in-house players. You have $81 million in cap space right now. You're sitting at approximately $81 million, and you must take care of your own talent players that you brought in three years ago. And in that conversation, we have to include left tackle Deion Dawkins. Now, I don't think Deion Dawkins, it's because you – you have to re-sign Travis White. You might re-sign Matt Milano. I think those are two deals you must get done this offseason. Deion Dawkins, that's one that I'm a little bit questionable. That, that one I have to think about a little bit. That's one that certainly the front office has to think about a little bit. A little bit. But Spot Track estimates him to be worth $14.3 million per season. I think that's a tad bit on the high end for Deion Dawkins. If it were me, I'm thinking more of the 9 to $11.5 million range per season. But – I think you have to lock down your left tackle. I, th I yeah, think that's a necessity yeah. this offseason. Definitely. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, based on those um, projections of how much these guys are worth, how much they'll actually ask for. You know, obviously everybody wants to get paid. You know, you can't fault a guy for wanting the maximum amount of money, but maybe these guys, if these guys are actually buying into what Sean McDermott's doing here and, you know, the whole culture that we hear about, maybe they'll take a pay cut. I mean – Tom Brady does it. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, I know uh, that. That's, that's a little different. That's <laughs> that, that's a little different. <laughs> I know that. Uh, it it and it's it's like a very you know non original thing to say, but it, it'll be interesting to see how much these guys demand because your left tackle is arguably your second most important position on offense behind your quarterback. I mean, you got to protect the blind side. There's there's no doubt about that. And so those guys are going to be worth a lot. But I guess your, your predicament or your, um, your, your choice for Brandon Bean is if you're not going to re-sign Dawkins because you don't think that he's worth the money he's going to ask for, can you bring in a replacement that will at least be sufficient? You, you, can't, you don't want to downgrade at that position. If you're trying to improve your football team and become a Super Bowl contender, you can't downgrade at left tackle. That's just not the way to do it. That's right. stupid. And he knows that. So, but, but the predicament is, is so, okay, you, you don't want to resign Dawkins. Who are you going to bring in that's going to perform as well as he does at that position? Right. You have a passable left tackle right now. You don't have, you don't have one of the two or three best tackle left tackles no, in football. That's not, and that's not what I'm saying. I, right, right. I understand. And that's the thing. You don't have one of the best left tackles in football, but you certainly don't have the worst. You can do a whole lot worse at the left tackle position than you can with Deion Dawkins. I think yeah. Deion Dawkins is a perfectly reasonable starting left tackle in this league. And let's not forget all the questions that surrounded his play going into this season, going into 2019. We were all wondering, well, Deion Dawkins looked pretty good next to veteran Richie Incognito in his rookie year. And then in his second year, he stuck it up with Wyatt Teller and Vlad Dukas starting next to him. Vlad Dukas. 
oh man, we cannot forget Vlad Dukas. Well, he's a very forgettable player, but how bad he was is just unforgettable. But then you bring in Quentin Spain, another veteran to, to, to the next to Deion Dawkins, and he had a resurgent year this past season. And he, he was elected a team captain, and he had a very solid season, to say the least. I felt like Deion Dawkins was one of the most underrated players on this team this past year, and I almost felt bad for not mentioning him on the award show last week. But I think Deion Dawkins... I, I definitely think he has earned an extension. You can do a whole lot worse, and you're not going to – left tackles in the NFL don't grow on trees. We see plenty of quarterbacks have to play with subpar tackle play on a week-to-week basis, and they pay the price because of it. And it's, and it's incredible how much better it makes your quarterback when you have a good line, especially a good left tackle. It makes your quarterback a hell of a lot better when he can sit back there for three or four seconds before he throws the ball. Right. And the last player I want to talk about the Bills potentially extending this offseason – is safety Jordan Poyer. Now, Sport, SpotTrack did not have uh, an, an estimation to his market value on there, but looking at other contracts around the league and trying to figure out where Jordan Poyer would fall amongst them, just, to, just so you know, he currently is the 32nd highest paid safety in the league. He is grossly underpaid. When you talk about maximizing value of a player, a player quite similar, I wouldn't say it's the, almost the exact same because the Bills have gotten year-in and year-out production from Jordan Poyer since he stepped field in the red, white, and blue. Undoubtedly. I think he, yeah. the last three years he has been – one of the better safeties in the NFL. It's almost comparable to how the Bills maximize value by picking up Jordan Phillips off of waivers last season and him leading all defensive tackles and sacks. We're going to talk about Jordan Phillips' situation in a little bit. But with Jordan Poyer, the Bills maximize value by bringing him in on a three-year prove-it deal where he's the 32nd highest paid safety in the league, and he has definitely earned an extension in which that garners him, I'd say, approximately in the area of 8 to $10 million per season. How would you feel if the Bills were to give Jordan Poyer that money? Well, I told you before the show that I wanted him back, so now it's sounding like I just want everybody, re-sign everybody to hell with the salary cap. <laughs> um, I'm fine with that. I really am because I think that not only is he a good player, I think that him and Micah Hyde are a great tandem, and they make each other better. You know, And now that they've, they've played together, what was this, their third year together back there yes. or something? Third year right. back there together, they've got chemistry. And they've been around the block now, and, and I think that breaking those two up would be, would be detrimental to the Bills. Um, I think that if you ask me in either-or scenarios which players I want, then, the, then I would be a little more likely to, you know, maybe say, all right, don't resign a Dawkins or don't resign a Poyer. But when we're taking it one by one here, all these guys make your football team better. Um, and that's why it's really a big part of this is going to come down to the question of how much money they want. Right. And, you know, of the four players now that we have talked about here to start the pod, I, I think Poyer is the one that I want to re-sign the least. Yeah. And the, well, reason, the reason being behind that is because, well, he's 29 years old. And yeah. you've been developing a safety for what is now two seasons with Saran Neal that you drafted in the fifth round. Now, I'm not saying that Saran Neal is a plug-and-play replacement for Jordan Poyer, and he's going to give you the same production week in and week out that Poyer has the last three seasons. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that Saran Neal has developed nicely on special teams and on the defense, quite frankly, and I think he could be a, a, a passable replacement for Jordan Poyer. I think the likelihood, there's a chance that Jordan Poyer could hold out in 2020. There, I, I am absolutely not dismissing that chance. There, that certainly could happen because this is a player who the last three seasons has played solid, as I mentioned previously, but he's 29 years old. And if it's me, I'm not signing him with any financial commitment after three seasons. And Jeff, you guys can't see it right now, but Jeff is holding up his Jordan Poyer jersey. 
I, I don't know. Jersey. Did you and just buy that? I hope so you didn't just buy that. What? I hope you didn't just buy that. It looks relatively new. So I got this. I was going to get this for my girlfriend for Christmas this past year because she likes Jordan Boyer. It's apparently all girls, girls like Jordan Boyer or whatever. And so I ordered it and I accidentally sent it to St. Bonaventure, my college address while, and it didn't come until I was already home. So here I am with this jersey. It's a medium. It doesn't look like it's going to fit you very well, huh? No, it actually, yeah, not really. I mean, what can you do? So I, so I just got a Josh Allen jersey, actually. Oh. Well, not just, but um, for Christmas. You, so. need, you need to learn yeah, I, I buying jerseys. Funny, I forgot I had this, but we were just talking about Jordan Poyer, and I looked down to my left, and I was like, oh, shit, that's a Jordan Poyer jersey. <laughs> but, no, I, in all seriousness, I, I wouldn't mind to see them bring back Jordan Poyer, but I'd have to see the contract. I'd have to see yeah. the financial commitment for the year by year. I would, I'd be fine with a three-year extension, absolutely, but no commitment after three years. That's really where my baseline is because when that contract expires, he'll be at 32, and we know how players – uh, their, their production declines after age 30. So we started with the good news. We started with talking about the possible extensions. Let's talk about the potential opt-outs this offseason because there's three in, three specifically that I want to cover, that being Tyler Croft, Trent Murphy, and Spencer Long. And since Trent Ooh. Murphy is on this list and he was your unsung hero this season, Jess, I want to hear, hear your thoughts on if we should cut Trent Murphy. <laughs> so I thought about this, <clears throat> and honestly, I really don't care. I gave him my unsung hero because I've, yeah, like I felt like you never hear anything about Trent Murphy and like you wouldn't know who he was if you weren't a Bills fan, followed the team. But I couldn't care if they replace him or, or if they keep him or not. I mean, he's expendable. You know, that's a really good u- word to use for him is he's expendable. It'd be great to have him back, but I don't care if they don't. And so that's really all I have to say is that is that I think that he's expendable. And I think that either way, it doesn't really hurt or hurt or help your team too much. He has the third highest cap hit on the team. That's, yeah, well. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until prior to this podcast. He has the third highest cap hit on this team. Obviously, that's going to go away if the Bills, yeah. if the Bills are going to make the additions that they need to this offseason. Obviously, he's no longer going to be the third highest player on the team. But the Bills could save $7.3 million if they caught him. That's a good chunk of change. It's a seven it point and when and when you compare that to the money you need to resign your the guys we already talked about, I'm saying see you, Trent Murphy. Right, and I, for me personally, I think a lot of what they do with Trent Murphy is dependent on their what, what they want to do with Shaq Lawson. I think personally, for me, we're going to get into the, all the unrestricted free agents here in a minute. But for me, if you were going to resign Shaq Lawson, I wouldn't do it unless you were cutting Trent Murphy. But, board, but at the end of the day, I think regardless of what you do at the defensive end position, whether you cut Trent Murphy, whether you let Shaq Lawson walk or you, you get rid of both of them or you keep both of them, you're going to have to address that position this offseason, without a doubt in my opinion. But if it were me, I would take the option on Trent Murphy and I would bring back Shaq Lawson. Both of them play replaceable rotational positions, but I think Shaq Lawson has a tad bit more in the tank, and if you can get him for about the same price tag, it would just make a lot of sense to me. Now, this one, I think this one's going to be a little bit more unanimous. Tight end Tyler Croft. The Bills can save $5.1 million if they take the opt-out on Croft. Jeff, what would you like to see them do with uh, their veteran tight end that they yeah. that they acquired? <laughs> yeah, see you, Tyler Croft. What the hell did he do this season? He caught that one pass against Pittsburgh. Dawson Knox is an emerging star. Um, I thought that Tommy Sweeney played fine. I mean, if you took the numbers off of them and Tommy Sweeney and Tyler Croft were out there playing, I would not know which one was which. They're the same right. player to me. I, I think I think Tommy Sweeney could – his ceiling is Tyler Croft. A number two replaceable tight end. 
get this. Tyler Croft made approximately $819,000 per catch this season. Yeah. That's and a Sweeney, lot of money to catch yeah. a ball. And Sweeney's making nothing because he's on his rookie contract. So keep Sweeney. If they're the same player. He was, targeting, he was targeted 15 times this season. Yeah. I think – this, I mean, you look at the, the, the last two players we've talked about, they're probably two of the three worst acquisitions that this regime has made since, the, since they took over, arguably. I, hey. I think. I was not a fan of the Trent Murphy move, and I was not a fan of the Tyler Croft move either. I, I know I said that I wouldn't care if Trent Murphy was gone, but I'll still back him up oh. against, against those claims. He's not that bad. He had an all right year. You know who else is up there? Starla Tula. <sighs> yeah, I will not defend him. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not bringing back Tyler Croft. I'm saving that $5.1 million and I'm replacing him with Tommy Sweeney because that's what you draft players to do. And Tommy Sweeney, he came out of Boston college. You know, he, he, he was a five-year starter he, or no, he wasn't a five-year starter. He was a four-year starter and he went to school for five years. I think he, he's a plug and play replacement for a tight end too. Obviously you're going to have to address that position somewhere along the lines. I, but I think you can find a backup tight end in free agency. And I think you can find a far more cost efficient backup tight end in free agency or the draft as well. And the last player I want to talk about the Bills potentially opting out of is offensive lineman Spencer Long. You can save $3 million if you opted to cut Spencer Long, but I'm, I'm not in favor of cutting him, mostly because whenever a Bills offensive lineman went out anywhere, he walked, he, he, it was plug and play for Spencer Long, and there was little to no difference in the Bills offensive line's production. And, you know, he plugged and play. He could play center. He could play either guard spot. That versatility is really going to keep him on this team. And I don't see $3 million, which is, really isn't much. I, I don't see that as a high price tag for a versatile backup offensive lineman when you have guys like John Feliciano and Quentin, Quentin Spain, who you have to make a decision on this offseason. I think you absolutely have to keep Spencer Long on this roster to back up th- essentially back up three positions along your offensive line. Yeah, everything you just said is true. Everything you just said I agree with. But do you think they want to spend that much money on the offensive line to where you're re-signing Dawkins and keeping Long? Well, they're going to have to make a decision on quitting Spain as well. Okay, so, so you get two out of the three. Who are you picking? If I get two out of the three, oof. oof. I, puts you in a tough spot because, yeah, Long's <clears throat> versatile, and we love that. But also, Dawkins is your left tackle. That's the right. most important position. You need that. And then Spain had a good season. You know, I think, I think Spain was one of the most road, unspoken. sign Cody Ford if you're going to want to keep him. He had a good year. Right. I mean, when, I, when your team's playing well – it's a completely different conversation to what we're used to. I mean, the Bills have been bad before. They have had bad players. You say, oh, yeah, let's get this guy out of here and draft so-and-so. Now right. these, guys are, these guys did good things for your football team. So it's like every guy we bring up, we said, hmm, he wouldn't be bad to bring back. Well, if we're talking about Spencer Long, we're talking about a potential replacement for Quentin Spain, depending on their That's decision true. for him. That's and I, I think that works well into our unrestricted free agent conversation. So let's start off with Quentin Spain because I think that – there's a lot of discussion to be had about Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips. We'll get to those guys in a second, but Quentin Spain is easily the most interesting conversation amongst the bills, free agents on the offensive side of the ball, because I think he was a snub for the pro bowl. I think he was one of the best offensive guards in the NFL and he was signed to Buffalo on a, on a one year prove it deal. And he made just $2 million this past season when he went to free agency after playing for the Titans, he wanted to test the market, but he wasn't signed until the first week of April. He wanted to test the market thinking that he would get all sorts of money but he didn't get signed until April by the Bills who gave him a one-year prove-it deal. And I think prove-it he has. But I think a lot of that, you, you have to consider the players around him. You have to consider Deion Dawkins. You have to consider Mitch Morse playing next to him. And I, I think this is really just an interesting conversation. He's 29. 
He's getting older, and I don't know how, how willing he is to test this market, and I don't know how much the Bills trust Spencer Long or if they even consider Spencer Long to be a plug-and-play replacement for the veteran Quinton Spain. Yeah, I, it, it brings up a tough predicament because you want – the way that the Bills have built this team, the way that Brandon Bean has built this team kind of so far, and the, I, the way that I think they'll continue to do it moving forward is by building around your – offensive line and your defensive line that's the most important part of your football team other than your quarterback and so remember we talked about before the season that we thought the bills and the jets both kind of had rebuilt over the season but they had done it in different ways like how the bills did it better right so if they're going to continue that good work they've already done you got to shore up the offensive line and it'll be interesting to see how they do that I think not only a lot of it has to do with their trust in Spencer Long and being a plug-and-play replacement but whether they think Cody Ford is a long-term guard or a long-term right tackle. Do they think Cody Ford should be a right tackle his whole career? Because personally, I think he's better suited to play guard, and they might think the same exact thing. So we're really going to find out because personally, I'm re-signing Quentin Spain. That's what I want to see them do. I can't, I can't spit, at number, spit numbers at you, but I want to see them re-sign Quentin Spain. I think long-term, that'd be your better decision to make. And, you know, John Feliciano has an expiring contract after 2020. And I think that's the offensive lineman you let walk and bump Cody Ford inside and you draft a developmental right tackle to start in 2021. I know we're talking a couple years down the line, but I want to see Quentin Sprain bought back. Um, Jeff, you and I both played offensive line in high school. We both know the cohesiveness, the camaraderie up front. It's so important to have a consistent starting five on a year-to-year basis. And it seems like every team that reaches their offensive peak has an offensive line that has started years together, not just games, years. They have all, they're all on the same page. They're all in the same paragraph of the page. You know, they, it's all about cohesiveness up front. It's all about knowing what the guy next to you is doing and knowing what the guy next to him is doing. And I think the longer you keep the same five in front of Josh Allen, the more success this offense is going to have as we look down the road. Well, let's see him do it then. Let's see him do it. The next free agent I want to discuss, I think this one's pretty open and close. It's uh, Frank Gore. Uh, Brandon Bean cannot, cannot commit to Frank Gore long-term, and I don't think the yeah. Bills should commit to him either. Do you think the Bills should re-sign Frank Gore? No, I mean, it was a feel-good story, but – Oh, don't yeah. you say don't, – don't you say he was a feel-good story. I think Brady, Brady was, what, third all-time in rushing? That was cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. It was cool to have him around. <laughs> and you want him – you have a rookie running back. Well, who better to have on your team outside of – the other side of that, then 36-year-old guy who's played like the most ever for a running back, mentoring right. him. No? And so so I, I wouldn't bring back Frank Gore. Uh, Sonoris Perry, the special teamer for the Bills. I think you have to, I, I think you have to bring back Sonoris Perry. Uh, he came back on a veteran minimum after going to the uh, injured reserve at the end of the preseason. And they brought him back midseason when they could, and they brought him back on veteran minimum. I want to see them bring him back next season. Uh, another special teams player is Julian Stanford. I think you need to bring back Julian Stanford. He's played the most special team snaps amongst the la- all the Bills special teamers the last two seasons. Julian Stanford, I think you must bring him back. You know, these are some maintenance players. These are some bottom-of-the-roster players, but they're absolutely important. You look yeah. at how bad the Bills special teams was in two seasons ago in 2018. These are players that made that better, and they're going to continue making it better. And another player in that variety – is Maurice Alexander. And I think Maurice Alexander, he's, he might command a little bit more money than he did last offseason, but I think the Bills should definitely bring him back for that special teams continuity as well as to secure their linebacker depth. I don't know if you remember this, but when Matt Milano first went out with a hamstring injury, I forget which game it was, but I remember Maurice Alexander was the first linebacker on the field in replacement for Matt Milano. 
And the Bills don't really have much depth at linebacker, especially after the retirement of Lorenzo Alexander. So I definitely want to see them bring back Maurice Alexander. And that's a majority of their special teams free agents. Do you have any, do you have any disagreements on any of those players or would you just bring them all back? No, I mean, as long as none of them are going to cost anything, then you want to keep the same guys together. You know, keep that unit together as long as cost isn't going to be a factor, which it shouldn't. And I think, oh, oh there is one I missed. Adrian Waddle. He tore his quad oh, yeah. in the preseason. And I think the Bills, they, they, you saw their tackle depth be tested this season. You saw, Nseki, you saw Ty Nseki go down. You saw Cody Ford go down. And you saw Ryan Bates go in. While Ryan Bates, I think, is a good developmental project, I think you have to bring him back in, or excuse me, bring back Adrian Waddle for that veteran security at the right tackle position, a player that can play right or left tackle in a pinch, a player that could be the sixth offensive lineman when he's called upon. And, you know, I think that was a loss that the Bills really felt this season. I mean, when, when Cody Ford goes down, when Ty Inseki is brought in on a, on, a, um, uh, on a limited role with what was speculated to be weak knees at, at his age. I think you have to bring back Adrian Waddle. I don't think it's going to cost you much given that he tore his quad in the preseason. I'm not saying you're going to get a hometown discount, but I think the Bills definitely have long-term plans for him. Otherwise, they would have just cut him like any other player that got hurt in the preseason. Yeah, and I think that he'll appreciate their willingness to bring him back if they do go that route as far as, as money-wise. You know, He'll be appreciative just that they're giving him another chance after getting hurt this season. Now, before we get to the big fish... There's two foundational pieces to the Bills' secondary that has expiring contracts this season, that being Kirk Coleman and Dean Marlowe. See ya. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying goodbye to Kirk, Kirk Coleman. Kirk Coleman, he, uh, he kind of burnt that bridge for me personally after that hit on Le'Veon Bell. I, I, I understand I have a strong dislike for the Jets, but either way, that was, a dis, that was just an awful hit. He was brought in as soon as Raphael Bush retired last offseason, but – I think that the Bills can find a replacement for Kirk Coleman if they even need, need a replacement. I mean, they have five safeties active most of the season. I'd like to see Dean Marlowe brought back. Absolutely. I think Dean Marlowe, you know, he's followed Sean McDermott where he has gone, whether it be Carolina or Buffalo, and he's always been called upon in a pinch. And he made the active roster this past, after this past preseason for a reason. And I think they'll definitely bring him back at a low deal. Now, to Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson, which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, we'll go – Phillips. Phillips. All right. So spot track estimates for Orton Phillips average year per sal or average year yearly salary, excuse me, to be 6.1 million. I will say right now, if the bills can bring back Jordan Phillips on a 6.1 year to year basis salary, I would bring him back in a pinch, but I think that is the absolute basement of what he will see this off season. Well, you see, you see him fighting with Bruce Nolan of Buffalo rumblings on Twitter about being a top three defensive tackles and using just, just using stats like sacks and tackles for a loss as – I mean, he, he, if you just look at those statistics, he's absolutely a top three defensive tackle in this league. But I don't think he is worth nearly as much as he thinks he is. And I think he is one of the players that we're going to look back on 2020 free agency and say, that guy got overpaid. Yeah, and I, you're exactly right. The guy thinks he's top three defensive tackle. He's going to want more than $6 million, and he's not worth that in my opinion. He had one good year. I've, I've been saying it all season. You give it to him. He had one good year. You know, congratulations. But you've got to assume it's a fluke because if you don't assume it's a fluke, you get burned financially if, he's, if he isn't good next year. And I'm not sold at all. I'm not sold on him as a player, and I'm not sold on giving him money long term because I think Harrison Phillips coming back, you've got Ed Oliver, and then we'll get to what I want to do with Lawson. 
but you have all those names. You don't need Jordan Phillips and the cap space that you need to resign your other players that we've already talked about, you know, your, your Poyer, your Milano, those, those guys, if you're going to bring back those guys, you can't be paying Jordan Phillips a ton of money because he thinks he's hot shit. You just can't be doing that. <laughs> Disagree with me. I dare you. You're saying he thinks he's hot shit, saying he's a top three defensive tackle. No, I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I, I think he is obviously over – he's overvaluing himself. I, I mean, he, he's earned the right to test the market. He's earned the right to yeah. think that he is a top three defensive tackle. Absolutely. He walked into nine and a half sacks this season with the, arguably the best secondary in football behind him. And I mean, it just, he had sacks on over 50% of his pressures. That's just an unsustainable number. Absolutely unsustainable. I think if we're talking about fluke seasons, you know, we've seen this from the bills before a player has a fluke season, whether it be on their team or another team, one of their players or a player they're considering had a fluke season. They bring him in on a projected contract and they overpay the shit out of him. And then he doesn't do anything in Buffalo and then he doesn't do anything the rest of his career. I think Jordan Phillips is your typical case of that. Look at his production on a year-to-year basis. Like, I remember looking at – I wrote an article about this, this Shaq Lawson-Jordan Phillips ordeal a while ago on ColfrontReport.com, and I remember when I was doing the research for it, he had double his statistics combined throughout the last four years of his career. And at that point, the Bills were 12 games into their season, and I remember he played 12 games in Buffalo last year, and he did little to nothing. Yeah, little to nothing. The most he did was wave his hands in the air and say, come on. That's all it was in 2018, it seemed like. That's all he did. I mean, that's fine. There's a place for that. And I understand fans love Jordan Phillips. They love how he embraced the city of Buffalo. But I know I got in a rant on this on another podcast. The Bills, the the, the winning is just starting. The winning is just starting. These players are going to gladly come to Buffalo, New York. And they're going to gladly rejoice with Bills Mafia. They're going to gladly. Do all of those things that Jordan Phillips did, and they're still going to be more consistent on a play-to-play basis. Now, I feel like this is a far different conversation if you didn't draft Ed Oliver ninth overall last season. Ed Oliver was playing 65% of the snaps to start the season. That was just at the start of 2019, his rookie year. You don't think he's going to play that and more next year? Do you think you need a, a player that I think he's going to see at least $9 million, and I think at most 13 per season? I don't think you need a backup that is that expensive behind a player that you obvi- that you invested a first-round draft pick in last yeah. season. Yeah, I mean, I'd said it before, earlier on the pod. You have all these other names that we can throw around that are solid defensive players, especially Oliver. You don't need to overpay this guy. I mean, it's it's not it's not rocket science. You don't need to overpay him. And right. um, you know, now we can talk about Lawson, who is in a similar situation, not too similar, but you know, they're both run stoppers. That's the role that both of those players play. Well, I mean, so. uh, Jordan Phillips is a wreaks havoc in the passing game. Wreaks havoc. <laughs> Nine and a half sacks. Nine and a half. Jeez. I mean, I, I, I know I just snark at that. Like, it, nothing. Like, obviously, nine and a half sacks is valuable. Obviously, that, that holds some merit. But you just there's just so many unsustainable statistics that goes along with that nine and a half sacks. It, it's, such, it's just such a misleading metric nowadays because there's so many things that go into a sack – that are just unmeasurable. It's easy to say, oh, he had nine and a half sacks. Okay, well, how was the coverage on that play? How long was the quarterback holding the ball? Who were those quarterbacks? And actually, eight of his nine and a half sacks came against quarterbacks who didn't start 16 games this season. They were mostly backup quarterbacks. You know what I mean? You're talking about Duck Hodges, Dwayne Haskins, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Who? Hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick. I I mean, there was another one. Marcus Mariota. You're talking about players like that. What was that? Who was the Broncos guy that we played? 
Oh, Brandon Allen. Oh, I don't know. No, he didn't have a sack against him. That was Sha- Shaq Lawson had two that game. And since we're talking about Shaq Lawson, I think I am far more willing to re-sign Shaq Lawson. I'm, I'm probably twice as willing to re-sign Shaq Lawson as I am Jordan Phillips because not only okay. is Shaq Lawson not going to overvalue himself, but I think he is certainly a valuable football player on your team that is going that that's going to you're going to get good return on your investment if you were to re-sign him for what he's worth. Yeah, I I completely agree, and I think that he's he's younger, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, he's younger, and I think that that there's a better chance of Shaq Lawson having another good year in him than there is Jordan Phillips, in my opinion. And so, if it's one or the other, I'm taking Lawson. Right. And it's just interesting with Shaq Lawson, because ever since this regime has taken over, it's always been like, oh, that's the Rex guy. That's the, that's the player that that regime was notorious for drafting in the first round. And we still don't know if he's a bust or not. I yeah. I was always I, I always hated on Shaq Lawson, but this was the first season that I was honestly pleasantly surprised with his production. I was honestly ple- pleasantly surprised with what he was doing on a play-to-play basis. Now, obviously, you have to bring in – you have to factor in that it's been his contract year, that they didn't take a fifth-year option on him, that he was going for his money this year. Obviously, you have to factor all those things in. I, mm-hmm. I think – but I, the point I'm making is that it's a much safer investment to re-sign Shaq Lawson as I, he's a valuable player. I've always given him credit for that. He, there, is a, there will always be a role for a run-stopping, edge-setting defensive end in any defense in the NFL. And I think Shaq lost. I wouldn't be unhappy if they re-signed him, but I'd be unhappy if they kept him and Trent Murphy. I think the thing I've always said with Shaq Lawson is if you're going to bring him back, cut him, give him Murphy's money, and add about a million and a half per season onto it, and I'm fine with it. But there's, two, there's four more free agents that we didn't get to as I had them in a different column on my sheet. Um, a restricted free agent, Isaiah McKenzie. I think you should bring him back. He's a solid gadget player. Um, he brings a different dynamic to the offense. A defense has to account for him. This is a player that averaged almost 10 yards per touch this season, obviously in a limited role, so you don't have a large sample size to really indulge into. But I think you should absolutely bring back Isaiah McKenzie for next season. And a somewhat high ceiling for him, too. Right. You still don't know what, what the maximum ceiling is, and you don't really know – uh, the different variances of how you could use him. And I think he's definitely going to be a bottom of the roster player if you make the additions you have to this offseason at his yeah. position. He could potentially be out the door come preseason, but that's still solid depth that you should certainly bring back as you don't – currently you don't really have any reason to not bring him back. Mm-hmm. And the Bills have three exclusive rights free agents, that being Robert Foster, Levi Wallace, and Jason Kroom. Uh, the way these players work is if they're going to play in the NFL in 2020, they're going to play for the Bills. They cannot sign with any other team, and the Bills can offer them the minimum. And if they want to play, they're going to have to they're going to have to sign the contract. So I think all three of those players are going to be brought back for what they are worth. And here at the end of the show, I want to talk about the needs going forward. In this season, in this episode, we really kind of recapped all the in-house things that the Bills have to take care of, and all the things that the, the, the extensions, the cuts, the unrestricted free agents, the restricted and or exclusive rights free agents. Now let's talk about their needs. Jeff, what is your number one need for the Bills going into the 2020 offseason? Receiver. Right. You need, a, you need a big receiver. But other than that, I think you need to shore up the defensive end position. And we're going to see how they do that. Um, whether it's re-signing guys or whether it's bringing in someone from the outside, only time's going to tell what they decide to do. But I think that you're, you have far more options right now in the interior defensive line than you do a defensive end. If it were one guy, who would it be? For defensive, defensive end. end. Yeah. Do you, do you have a name off the top of your head? Uh, I don't. Um, I don't. I it, There's just so many moving pieces right now. I mean, 
it seems like Jerry Hughes is going to be on the team forever. And then you need to decide whether you're bringing back Murphy or not. It's, I don't, do you have the name? Unique and Gakwe. That is my number one okay. name for the Bills this yeah. offseason is Unique yeah. Ngakwe. If I, I didn't well, know that's how you not, say it. Not Unique Ngakwe specifically. I'd love to I see Unique Yannick. Yannick. Yannick Weber. Unique is far more. Unique is far more unique. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm horrible with puns. But, no, defensive end is my number one need for the Bills this offseason. Yeah. I think once you get that pass rusher, you have your lockdown corner in Trey White. You need a, an edge setting, a tone setting defensive end against the pass. The Bills haven't really had that threatening of a pass rush on a play-to-play basis with a player like Yannick Ngakwe. It seems like since they have Mario Williams and Jerry Hughes and that whole the, the original Cole front. But my second need is Jeff, Jeff, his number one need, but my second need is wide receiver. I really call the – I wouldn't even say it's number my second need. I'd say it's 1A and 1B. My 1A is defensive end. My 1B is wide receiver. I mean, there's so many routes that the Bills – yeah, routes. <laughs> there's so many Ooh, routes that the Bills could take. roll. Yeah, I know. It's awful. There's numerous routes that the Bills could take at the wide receiver position, whether it's the, this loaded wide receiver class. They could draft two of them or, or, or free agency with guys like A.J. Green. We're going to discuss all the things that the Bills could do this offseason to potentially fill these gaps and fill these voids on the roster. Jeff, what would be your third biggest need on the football team if you, if you had to say off the top of your head? Well, again, it's going to depend on what they do as far as re-signing players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that shoring up your offensive line is definitely important. I think that signing Mitch Morris this past year made a tremendous impact. I should have given him a, him an award last week. I don't know why I didn't think of him because he he played well this year. I think you like, mentioned him. I, you yeah, mentioned I did. Him. I, I did because I hadn't thought of him before the show. And then as we were in the show, I was like, man. But, you know, it's like, oh, we got a good center. So let's let's say, oh, we got a good we got a good guard or we got a good tackle. I think shoring up the offensive line and it's just like the defensive line. You have options to do that. And I don't think it's gonna be that difficult of a task because you have guys right now that are good enough, that are sufficient. You just need to decide, you know, who you're gonna pay, how much you're gonna pay them, are you gonna bring people in? Right. So I don't think it's that I don't think it's as as urgent as the receiver and defensive end. I'd say my third biggest need would be cornerback. I'd say locking up that second position opposite Trey White this offseason will will be crucial. I think you add a dynamic pass rusher, and then you add a solid number two cornerback opposite Trey White. No slight on Kevin Johnson or Levi Wallace opposite Trey White, but that is certainly a position where if the Bills lock it down, and I mean by lock it down, I mean with a first-round pick or or a really good cornerback in free agency, I think that the, the entire page for what is already the second best defense in football, it, cha- it takes a whole new fit. It takes a whole, that's a whole new defense when you add a corner opposite Trey White. And I'd say you, you absolutely have to address the running back position this offseason. You have yeah. to get a complimentary back to Singletary, whether that's an explosive back or whether that's a pound between the tackles running back. That's up to you. I, I mean, the market's going to be interesting. You have Derrick Henry out there. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, gi- I wouldn't give Derrick Henry what he's going to command, but I certainly would not, would, would not turn away at Derrick Henry being in a Bills uniform by any means. But hey, the Bills have eighty-one million dollars in cap space. We're going to discuss with you every single week going throughout the offseason what the Bills should do, where they should go, the draft, free agency. We're going to break it all down for you here. And here at the end of the show, Jeff, please tell the people where they can find you if they choose to. If you would like to, for some reason, you can find me on Twitter at R-E-A-L-J-U-V-E-I-N-O. You can find me on Instagram if you type in my name. That is J-E-F-F-U-V-E-I-N-O. 
And don't forget to follow the Cold Front Report on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow us on, on Instagram at Cold Front Report underscore Bills News and on Twitter at Cold Front Report. And like us on Facebook, Cold Front Report colon Buffalo Bills News. And if you'd like to find me on Twitter, it's at CFR Clayton. And on Instagram, it's the same exact thing, CFR, C-L-A-Y-T-O-N. And thank you all for listening. And this has been the Overtime Podcast presented by the Cold Front.